these are strange times, aren't they, when good numbers are seen as bad news, but for those looking for some sort of downturn in the US economy in the hope that that might dissuade the Fed from pushing on with their anticipated aggressive path of rate hikes, well, that didn't happen, and yields have pushed higher as a result. In Australia, the numbers were also strong. GDP growth was better than expected, and we can expect a trade surplus today. And the Aussie is flying high right now, but how long will that last? And the UK, on holiday now for the rest of the week to show how much they support the monarchy if it means more public holidays. It's Thursday, the 2nd of June, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a big rise in bond yields this morning, up eight basis points for 10-year treasuries, uh, 13 basis points higher for two years in the United States. Ten years are also up across Europe, up five basis points in the UK, six for Germany, seven for France. Aussie 10-year yields are up seven basis points to 3.41%. That's a 28 basis point rise in a month, whereas US 10-year yields really aren't up at all on the month. And quite a leap for the US dollar this morning is up 0.8% on the DXY this morning. The Aussie has been ahead of the rising US dollar for much of the session, but it's line ball with it right now, whereas the pound has fallen about 1%. The euro is down 0.8%. Even the New Zealand dollar is uh, down almost half a percent, so it shows how much of a standout the Aussie is today against that rising US dollar. And equity markets still cautious. The Dow down half a percent, three quarters of 1% for the S&P 500. The Nasdaq is down by the same amount, having started strong. Then it lost 1.4% on yesterday's close. Then it claimed all of that back. Now it's lost it again by three quarters one percent banks not doing well european stocks also well down as well one percent off the FTSE 100 and 0.8 percent off the euro stocks 50 and oil still pushing high although it's lost a lot of the ground that it uh, it made in the session brent did get over 118 dollars 50 it's back to 116 now so pretty flat on the day for same for the wti which is at just under 115 dollars a barrel so uh clearly concerns still out there except perhaps for australia Given those numbers we saw yesterday, Nabs Rodrigo Cotrill is with me. So the Aussie dollar climbing higher than the US dollar for a lot of today when there's a lot of risk sentiment around. Uh, so surely that is a sign that Australia is going to weather the storm better than most. And those GDP numbers yesterday might have helped support that idea, perhaps. Um, morning, Phil. Uh, yes, well, I suppose the, the, the story, yesterday's story, was that, that uh, robust uh, Q1 GDP number that we got in Australia um, um, you know, because there was a bit of uncertainty around, um, you know, the, the potential for a soft print, um, particularly given the sort of the calculations around inventories. And of course, there the uncertainty around the consumer. But um, uh, in the end, it proved to be a, a solid one. And, and it suggests the economy is, is well on track to, to perform really strongly this year. Um, and therefore, it reinforces the view that, you know, that the, the RBA should continue uh, with um, uh, the hiking intentions that it has expressed already. So um, I suppose the debate now is whether how hard the, 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 the RBA is going to go. Um, and then when you look at sort of the global dynamics, um, the, the price action and events overnight place the view that, um, you know, the RBA could go faster than, uh, than that 25 basis point um, that they've been sort of suggesting as the normal procedure. Well, how did this go against expectations? Because, I mean, obviously we had a very strong Q4 and then this built on top of that. And that was despite the fact that obviously Omicron was around uh, in Q1 and all that flooding as well. So, I mean, there were a lot of headwinds that it has performed, the economy's performed particularly well against. Yes, and, and consumption in particular has remained elevated. Um, uh, and mm. the recovery, which we think still has more to play out, particularly in terms of services spending, 
is still yet to come in a sense. So, so that kind of gives the, the if you like, momentum to that consumption part of the, of the equation. Um, um, and then, as you say, that, that we didn't see huge uh, negative impacts from, uh, from sort of the floodings and so on. So, so uh, and again, in terms of the, the destruction from the floodings, you know, we know the spending that needs to occur al alongside of that in, in coming quarters. So that again is, 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 is a positive one, if you like, if we, when you look forward. Um, uh, overall, the, 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 the idea that the Australian economy has got momentum and it's well supported by domestic drivers, it's important. And now what we also have is this idea that commodities have remained well elevated and they're expected to remain elevated with even China now making a big announcement overnight of another 120 billion in terms of infrastructure commitments. So this idea that yeah. um, we have a global slowdown, but China's coming uh, you know, out of this reopening uh, is very supportive for the commodity outlook and, and plays to the view which we think mm. uh, that Australia will weather the storm a lot better than many other economies. Yeah, so as I'm saying, what does that mean for the uh, the Aussie dollar then? Because for a lot of today, it was higher than the US dollar, even though the US dollar was rising. And of course, thrown into the mix, we've got the fact that uh, China is reopening. We've seen pictures of people in Shanghai uh, standing outside very expensive uh, department stores. They can't wait to get spending again. Obviously, all that's going to be good for Australia as well. We are going to benefit from all of that. Uh, but um, at the same time, we've got to be mindful that the Aussie dollar is a, is a very pro-growth and, and pro-risk. Um, so the uncertainty around how equity markets in particular cope with um, um, a potential you know, slowdown that may come from uh, other parts of the world, and particularly Europe, uh, and even, even the US, you know, many, including uh, JP Morgan overnight have trimmed, uh, well, not overnight, but a couple of days ago, they have trimmed the outlook for, for the US economy uh, for this year and next year. So there's a slowdown coming uh, and that slowdown challenges, you know, earnings growth or even earning projections for, for the equity market. And of course, we still have central banks hiking. So so that environment is, is a bit of an uncertain environment for, for equities and risk assets in general. Um, so that's the challenge for the Aussie to perform against this supported uh, commodity outlook, but mm. uh, volatility and uncertainty in risk assets. Right. What about the balance of trade numbers? Then we get those today for Australia. Uh, and I wonder whether that will give us a clue on inflation, because that's the big question mark, isn't it? How bad is it going to be? When's it going to hit? If, if we see that imports are higher than, for example, imports last month, irrespective of what the balance of trade is, that presumably means more demand for goods from overseas, which could mean prices are going to go up. Yes, so that's certainly going, and, and you know, and what the Aussie dollar does in, in that regard is also important because as we continue to, to, to have a strong demand for imports, um, you know, uh, a strong dollar, Aussie dollar, um, will, will be helpful in terms of the inflationary impact. Um, but uh, overall, the, the, our economists look at the uh, trade balance to be a positive one again, uh, particularly given you know, the, the increase in prices uh, and demand that we're seeing for LNG and coal. Um, so it plays to the view that we might see a, another trade balance, a surplus, sorry, uh, close to 10 billion um, for, um, for, for April. But as you say, we also expect um, a rebound in imports uh, as well. Um, so, so that will be important in terms of the dynamics. And it will be a reflection of how well the, the, actually the consumer, the, the domestic economy is doing as well. Now, in the United States, the economy isn't really slowing that much, is it? That is uh, good news and bad news. The bad news, of course, is it means the Fed is going to have to do more. So we had the ISM manufacturing PMI for May, higher than expected, new orders stronger, 
Job openings down a little, but still very high at 11.4 million. Job quits haven't really come down very much. Uh, so there's not much there, is there, to make the Fed think that they're going to have to tread a more careful path, which is presumably why we're, we're seeing yields rising again today, because it, it's full on for the Fed. Yeah, and if anything, that's sort of the, the big news or big price action from uh, overnight. We've seen a, a very decent jump in uh, U.S. Treasury yields uh, across the curve, um, not only in the front end, but also in the 10-year part of the curve up around you know 10 basis points to um, to 293 at the moment. So it's been a decent jump. And, and as you say, the takeaway here is that the good news from the economy maybe are not so good news in terms of the impact it can have on risk assets because it emboldens or justifies this hawkish um, sort of theme that is coming from the Fed that they need to go hard and they need to slow down the economy uh, given that you know activity readings remain very very strong and as you mentioned the labor market is still it's still very very tight mm. um, with two still two job openings for every unemployed person in the US which is something that uh, Fed Chair Powell highlighted as a sort of a leading indicator that he's looking for some indication that the labor market will be cooling a little bit. Uh, and at the moment, there's no indication of that. Um, so we should you know, prepare ourselves for, for more solid rate hikes coming from the Fed. Well, the only glimmer of that, wasn't it, was the, uh, in, the, in amongst all those ISM numbers, the employment index falling below 50. So that theoretically means that jobs are leaving the manufacturing sector. But, you know, conversely, I mean, that is just one sector, obviously. Uh, the beige book uh, was fairly mixed, but it did uh, it did point to a lot of labour shortages seen by most people quizzed for the beige book, most of the people completing the survey saying that is one of the main difficulties they're still facing right now. Yes, yes. And the other thing to note as well is that when it comes to employment, the services uh, ISM is probably a bit, has bigger weight, of course, because yeah. it employs more people. So when we get that number, it will be important important to see whether we see a bit of a niece in terms of those employment numbers um, to get a feel of where, how, where we're heading in that regard. Um, the other sort of important dynamic to highlight in terms of the activity, the ISMs, uh, is that we know that the ISMs and the, the PMIs in Europe tend to have a lag relationship with what happens in China. So a slowdown in China typically gets reflected in these readings around three months later. So at the moment, uh, if you like, the good news coming from the ISM have not yet captured the, the negative impact coming from China. So it will be important to see how resilient the ISM remains over coming months. Right. So just as China's getting better, we've got to go through and relive the whole experience all over again in ISM numbers. That's what you're saying. <laughs> so look, uh, lots more uh, US data today, and a lot of it is job-related. We get the ADP employment numbers and also the, the weekly jobless numbers as well and factory and goods orders uh, so uh, of course you know non-farm payrolls is the, the real number we want to look out for particularly what it means for wages on Friday and we get uh, Fed's Loretta Mester uh, talking later I mean she's already said hasn't she that she wants to see several months of inflation moving down before they pause rates so she sort of said September could be the pivot point, which seems rather soon. That seems a, a little bit optimistic. But, I mean, there's still very conflicting views. I mean, James Bullard obviously wanting to push even higher. I mean, he's saying, well, we could go higher even if we have to pull rates down again. Better to overshoot. And that pretty much is the view across most of the Fed now. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we, we had Fed Waller as well speaking a couple of days ago, again, reiterating that view. So, mm. uh, and I think that this is one of the factors why we've seen U.S. Treasury yields move up. Um, the expectations to some extent was a bit of a softening in the data to justify the move low in yields, and, and we didn't get that. And now we're seeing that repricing in, in U.S. Treasury yields. Um, so for now, I think that the market is sort of reassessing that outlook. 
and, and sort of paying a little bit more attention to, to what the Fed is saying. Even Fed Bostic, which was the one that talked about this idea of, of you know, pausing, uh, clarified his position yesterday saying, well, that's not what I meant. It all depends on, on how the data plays out. And at the moment, we, we haven't yet seen indication of, of how the data, of a softening in the data. So it's going to make it very interesting, isn't it, to see, uh, you know, if there's any uh, uh, loosening of the uh, of the employment market in those numbers on, on Friday night and, and indeed uh, later on today as well. But I mean, the, it's interesting also how it's playing out in the share market, which has ended last month pretty flat because it's being pulled in those two directions. Is a recession coming or is the Fed going to sort it out? I mean, no one's uh, really quite clear on that. Look, over the border, the uh, the Bank of Canada raised interest rates 50 basis points. Uh, look, they are saying maybe that's not enough, maybe 75 basis points. They're, they're prepared to act more forcefully if needed, is what they said in their statement overnight. Yes, and, and that is sort of the big takeaway. And we've got to remember that to some extent, you know, all central banks are being affected by what they say and what they do. And, and uh, again, the Bank of Canada's uh, very hawkish um, hike, if you like, and not only they did 50 basis points, but opened the door to more forceful rate hikes uh, over coming um, months, plays to the view that, you know, we will see the potential for other central banks to also become aggressive. You know, a lot of uncertainty around what the ECB does. And of course, even the RBA, whether, you know, they, they'll look to do 40 or 50 basis points uh, in, in, in next week, um, depending on, on, on how they interpret the data flow and, and the outlook for the economy. Yeah, and what's that going to do? House prices, we, we saw, didn't we, yesterday in the house price numbers, uh, Sydney and Melbourne house prices uh, falling, but rising elsewhere. Uh, and uh, rents are rising as well. We were talking about that uh, yesterday on the podcast. You know, if house prices fall, investors might see this as an opportunity because uh, rents are rising, which, of course, is what feeds into the CPI. But let's talk about oil quickly before we go, because that is also rising. Uh, and uh, OPEC Plus are about to meet. There's a question mark about whether OPEC Plus can reach a deal without Russia, uh, who, of course, aren't in OPEC, but they are part of usually part of an OPEC decision. Uh, I mean, I wonder how whether that will happen and uh, and and how that plays out and what the, uh, the the reaction is going to be in oil prices as a result of that. Yeah, at the moment there's no sort of major surprises expected in the, in that regard. The, the the plan to 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 gradually increase supply is still in place, and and that speculation around Russia seems to have faded. Um, and so Russia is still mm. part of the club, if you like. Um, so, um, but certainly all eyes on, on, on whether Saudi Arabia shows its willingness because we know they're, they're really the only ones that can pump more oil. Uh, and whether they, they show a little bit of willingness to do so. But at, at the moment, no major surprises that I expected. Um, and, and as you've seen in terms of the price action in oil, um, what's going on around Russia, Ukraine, of course, is one big factor. But this reopening that is happening in China is also instigating the idea That's that we will see an increase in demand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so from the ECB, Villaroy and Hernandez are, are, are talking later today. It's going to be fairly quiet from the UK as well. They've got a four-day weekend starting right now, right today. Uh, they've already got their Union Jack tablecloths neatly ironed, ready for their street parties this week. We've heard about how David DeGarris is going to be cycling down the mall on his fold-up bicycle in his Lycra beef eater costume. So it's going to be a sight to behold. <laughs> uh, so quiet from that part of the world. But, uh, you know, it's still on, isn't it? Not forever? everyone in the UK, though. You will be working. Yeah, well, I'll be working, of course. Always. Yeah, I'm always working. You know me. Uh, good to catch you, Rodrigo. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Yep, I will be back tomorrow morning for the final one of the week. It's the NAB Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow morning. 